0: Hello and welcome to New Books in European Studies. I'm your host, Nicholas Walton. In every programme we talk about a new book that looks at some aspect of Europe and hear from the author. In this episode, that book is Keeping Up with the Germans, a history of Anglo-German encounters, and the author is Philip Alterman. Philip is a journalist and a German who has lived in Britain since... Hello and welcome to New Books in European Studies. I'm your host, Nicholas Walton. In every programme we talk about a new book that looks at some aspect of Europe and hear from the author. In this episode, that book is Keeping Up with the Germans, a history of Anglo-German encounters, and the author is Philip Altman. Philip is a journalist and a German who has lived in Britain since his teenage years, so he's very well placed to examine the sometimes fraught, often deeply respectful, even fond relations between the two countries. It's a very readable book full of insight, and he leaves you thinking about things as mundane as housing and football in an entirely new light. I hope you enjoy the interview. Sitting opposite me here in Westminster, a very sunny day here in Westminster, is Philip Altman, the author of Keeping Up with the Germans, a history of Anglo-German encounters. Good afternoon, Philip. Good afternoon. Uh, Now, this is a a book where the, you know, the main thing is about the relationship between two of Europe's biggest... uh, country's biggest rivals but it's also a very personal book Um, and it's all about how you as a German came over to Britain and started experiencing life here and have stayed here ever since. So why don't you start off just by taking us through your own experiences and and your own life and how you actually ended up uh, writing the book. Okay
1: so um, I I was born uh, in um, Schleswig-Holstein in the north of Germany. Uh, in the early '80s, um, and I, I lived there for, uh, for uh, until I was uh, 16, um, when my dad got offered a job here in, in London, uh, and there was a sort of moment where my parents tried to convince me that you know, did I want to go, come with them? I was really too young to stay stay behind, um, and, and so we sort of had made a compromise that I would go for a year to go to an English school in, uh, in, the, in the suburbs of, uh, of London, uh, south-west London, and um, that I would um, you know, give it a go and see what it's like, and if it didn't work out, it could come back after a year. Um,
0: did, did you have any preconceptions about uh, Britain at that time? Because you, pa- you say that your parents were quite anglophile.
1: That's right. I mean, I think uh, you have to sort of realise that... Um, I mean, one of the reasons... One of the things I wanted to... One of the stories I wanted to write... Um, in, in the book is is in a way the story of uh, German anglophilia i mean I think there is a lot of fondness towards towards an idea of britain i mean whether that 's whether that 's the actual Britain or not um, is another thing but but there is a lot of fondness and particularly in in, in the north uh, even more so in hamburg um i mean there 's a lot of uh, there 's a lot of history there there 's a sort of mercantile links um, between the two countries um you know which you can sort of, uh, I mean, uh, there's there's sort of scattered details of you know, so there, you know, the sort of the Beatles. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a weird link between Hamburg and Liverpool and what because you have the Beatles, you have Kevin Keegan, uh, and there's a the sort of the, really the local dish that people in Hamburg are very proud of is, is a thing called Labskaus, which is mm-hmm. which is the same thing as Lobscouse, which is. Why this? Why the uh, people from Liverpool are called scousers, which mm-hmm. is a sort of stew, which people, are, uh, right, which sailors used to eat. So anyway, there's a sort of their cultural links there. I think um, that people um, don't quite know about. And my parents certainly had a, 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 a sort of clear sense that, that 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 was Britain was something quite wonderful, and and they they really um, they, were, they really threw themselves into uh, into the English experience. I mean, I I think I was. Um, I was curious and probably uh, positively inclined. I was really into into Britpop at the time, so again there was a sort of cultural. Uh, I mean, you know, this is another thing I think the way uh, British pop culture sort of flooded German culture. People don't realise that. I mean, with you know, um, there's a weird time lag in a way that I think a lot of British music is sort of, you know, like Phil Collins and Joe Cocker and Eric Clapton, I mean Germans sort of adore them. I mean my my uncle, you uh, know he he's a he's a massive Rolling Stones fan and he he's got every you know Rolling Stones bootleg and <laughs> there's there's a sort of uh, there's a real um, uh, you know uh, fondness for for British culture. Anyway, I, I think so. I, I came um, to London on, on the back of a, that sort of cultural wave, um, uh, but I guess i was a little bit more skeptical than, than, than my parents anyway um uh, the story uh, the book is sort of the story of how uh, how i spent my uh, first year acclimatizing to, uh, to to this new world um uh, at a at an all-boys school uh and how i you know sort of found my way around all sorts of things that were surprisingly different between the two countries after all um but I, but I, as you can tell i've, I've I ended up staying. My parents live in in Germany again now, and I've been here for for fifteen years.
0: So, (laughs) yes. And when I first met you, I didn't actually appreciate that you were German because your 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 accent and your your ability with English is is quite something to be envied.
1: I tried quite hard. I think I you know I was uh, I mean one of the one of the sort of main parallels of the book is um, I I wanted to sort of um, uh, well I wanted to write a a story. about anglo-german relations but i didn't i'm not a historian i mean i studied literature uh, and i'm now a journalist um so i didn't want to write a sort of something that claims to be a, a completist history um one of the things i wanted to do in the book um it, rather than sort of claim to write a, a complete history of germany um i wanted to um sort of tell uh, a power, two parallel stories, and one of them is, is really my own story of, of, of this year in, in Britain, but the other one is, is really the, uh, to understand the history of, of, of Germany um, as a, sort of, like me in a, in a way, an unformed teenager so starting in the 19th century when, when, when Germany looks at Britain very much like, what I think is a sort of the equivalent of a, of a 16-year-old looking up to an 18-year-old so admiring, uh, mm-hmm. admiring its sense of um, of, of sort of a, a distinct as hein, hein, the, the poet um, Heinrich Heine said when he comes to London in 1827 a sort of distinct sense of national character that, that Germany seemed to lack at that time so Germany was just a sort of um, a, a puzzle mm. uh, an exploded puzzle uh, and and there was a sort of unity uh, of, of mission that, that, that Germans really admired about Britain at the time Um so I wanted to. Uh, that that struck me that there was a sort of a parallel to my own story. So, I, and I think I was a sort of you know sixteen year old teenager when I when I arrived, um, which meant I mean the, the the plus side of that is that I was able to I wasn't too hung up on my old uh, uh, thick, fixed self. You know, I was sort of in a way leave my old German self behind mm-hmm. fairly easily, and 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 you know sort of slip into that new uh, English persona quite quite well. So um, I, I sometimes think that that explains why I, I managed to get the hang of the language. If I, and I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have if, if, um, if I'd come two years, two years later.
0: Absolutely. Well, personally speaking, I, I had a, um, a love affair with Germany when I was a teenager because I went a couple of times over to a small town outside Frankfurt mm-hmm. on a mm-hmm. school exchange. And I love the uh, you know the small scale football teams and the mm. forests and mm. everybody being on bicycles and mm. everyone having these large cellars that always seem to be stocked full of beer That's and right. I thought Party it was, <laughs> I, exactly exactly uh, often oddly enough with a, a wall always with the the outline of Manhattan a, a, in the sunset <laughs> or something on it, um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway it led me to take Germany. Uh, uh, for GCSE, for the mm-hmm. exams that we do at sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, and I got through that just. But uh, I, I attribute that to being able to chat up German girls, and mm-hmm. uh, you know the communication value <laughs> that you get out of that. So, so when you came over, you had this uh, th- this blank slate. You were going to reinvent yourself and, and sort of have a look at, at Britain and and through the eyes of a 16-year-old boy, there are certain things that you notice straight away. I mean, you, you talk in the book about uh, watching football and, and how that allowed you to see the difference between the two. Uh, and then you look at, as I've just mentioned, you know, looking at German girls and English girls, you're at an all-boys school. Mm-hmm. How, how was it in those first couple of months when you came over? I mean, I don't want to make it it, it sound too dramatic, but it must have been quite an odd experience.
1: Um, so there, I think there are a lot of... Uh, there was, it was a uh, steep learning curve um, What in regards to um, different cultural values. Um, one of the things I think is sort of worth saying at the beginning is that Germans sometimes assume that any German who comes to England gets uh, gets sort of into trouble because they're, because they're German and because mm-hmm. they're the British. Hate the Germans because of the Second War. I mean, that was certainly one experience I didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think anyone ever um, uh, told me off or, or or had a go at me for, uh, for that. I mean, I think that's sort of uh, and and I, I'm I'm always keen to stress that to to, to Germans. I think it's um, it, it's not quite uh, it's not quite that simple. I mean, I think there is mm-hmm. a sort of there's certainly a sort of uh, a greater um, it's a sort of national. It's it's more part of the national narrative, one well, in a different way, in, in, in the Second World War in, in Britain than it is in Germany, but it doesn't mean that um, it always makes um, makes it impossible for British people to be nice to Germans. And mm-hmm. I certainly felt. Um, I mean, one of the things that um, the, possibly the the biggest cultural difference. If, if Germans ask me sort of what, what what's the what, what is it what do you really have to how you know how do you understand the British, um, I think. One of the key things, in many ways, is the sort of the role of um, of humour in everyday life. I mean, that mm-hmm. sort of increasingly, I'm coming to think that that is is the one big difference. Uh, that uh, I, I sort of tried to explain this to someone the other day, and I it's, said, it's, "It's, I just, I said, um, "You know, the British—they don't make jokes, but they are constantly funny." You know, they're constantly in a sort of sense of readiness for humour, mm-hmm. and in Germany, I guess there is a more of a sense of uh, division between between working and and yeah you know, and having a, having a good time. You know, and those are more clearly um, segregated those two modes or spaces. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in in Britain, I think um, humour is the sort of is the key. Uh, key mode uh, that, that everyone operates in um, all the time, and that's certainly something that I think I, I found quite puzzling at first. Um, and, and there are, I mean, speech. You know, it, I was—I'd I, say I was pretty good at speaking English. You know, I was quite good at grammar. And mm-hmm. Germany, they teach grammar in a uh, in a in a way that they, they don't teach here. So you know, I often, you know, I was able to correct people. <laughs> I didn't like that, of course, but I was able to correct <laughs> people's grammar. Um, but um, there are a lot of um, for, for a country which sort of prides itself, or you know, for a country like Britain which which looks often looks at Germany and sort of laughs at the Germans for having too many rules, there are quite a lot of rules in in, in British uh, everyday life. I think that they're, they're mm-hmm. just not spelt out, um, but in everyday communication. Um, the sort of uh, habitual understatement, for example, that mm-hmm. I found that you know quite confusing at first, so that people would say, oh, you know, oh God, I found that I found that that, that exam really hard as well, and you know, and would get the best mark in the in the class, mm-hmm. um, or you know someone, you know, just sort of people making jokes without highlighting them. Mm-hmm. Someone saying that he was, um, you know. The son of the prime minister, and I believed him because he didn't give me any indication that he was making a joke. Mm -hmm. In Germany, I think there would be more of a um, of a tendency to do something to 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 signpost that you're you you know you're being funny. Um, So I'd say that was probably one of the
0: one of the sort of key experiences I had at the beginning. Just just to pick up on this, because obviously the uh, it's a constant subject of. of Discussion, and you just have to pick up a newspaper once a year, or right. listen to a radio program once a year, and that'll be the time that they've decided that it's it's time to discuss the German sense of humour yes. and blah blah. <coughs> Do you think that this uh, that this uh, difference between the two that you've just described goes to the root of why English people tend to think that the Germans don't have a sense of humour? Uh, I think it's
1: it's one of the things. I mean, I I I I'd be um, I mean the, the comeback to that is that, of course the english aren 't necessarily best qualified to really judge on how funny the Germans are because they great mm-hmm. they, 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 they often don 't speak the language, <laughs> um, and I, I guess language is key to uh, to humor um, so I, I sort of always i think I would disagree if anyone said the germans aren 't funny, but there are there are differences between the two um, comedy cultures mm-hmm. uh, i think and, I, and, I, and that sort of um, uh, it is an a more important cultural mode and it has traditionally been so i mean germany doesn't doesn't have the same has not doesn't have as rich a tradition i think of uh, of of comic literature mm-hmm. um, as as england does um i mean if you look at the the first translations of shakespeare who was you know an incredibly important figure for for german for the for the sort of uh, for goethe and, and schiller and, and and that generation of writers um they couldn't get their head around the the sort of the fact that it was very tragic in one scene and very silly the next they couldn't get mm-hmm. they couldn't get their head around that at all so mm-hmm. um Christoph Martin Wieland who translated the first uh, the, the, one of the first sort of translations of um of Shakespeare um you know just, just cut out the the, the the sort of silly songs and and rude jokes so i think you know <laughs> it's it, there is a there is a difference um uh and but but i think it's also worth um it's interesting, I think, how much more important um, comedy and humor has become in in, in Britain now mm-hmm. um, i think it's you know it's something that's sort of constantly evolving um, and I th- well, sorry, what do you mean by that um well, I mean one example I think is when Germans talk about British humour. I mean, it's, it's a real, you know, it's a real term, you know, British humour. I mean, do you mm-hmm. understand the British humour? This is something that my relatives constantly asked me whenever I came back to you, do you finally understand the British humour? As if mm-hmm. it was a sort of gnomic code. Um, uh, but, but I think that, for example, that's based, still based on an idea of British humour that is already, feels completely out of date. So you have um, sort of Germans associate British humour with, for example, I mean has been much, much uh, written about, uh, but, you know, Dinner for One, which is a, um, a musical sketch from the 19, 1920s, uh, which was imported to Germany uh, in, in the 60s and has become a, a sort of cult mm-hmm. uh, that is shown every year uh, around six o'clock on New Year's Eve, which is a British musical ska- sketch. Um, but if you look at it now, it feels, inc- from a British perspective, it feels
0: very dated. It's essentially mm-hmm. slapstick. It's, um uh, and S- sorry, take us through what happens. It's it's so it's, an, it's an elderly woman with a right. with a servant. That's
1: right. So it's it's called dinner for one or, or the ninetieth birthday, uh, and uh, the the premise is is that there's an old lady who's celebrating her ninetieth birthday. Um, she's descending a flight of stairs at the beginning, and there's her butler, mm-hmm. um, who uh, greets her and uh, sits, seats her at the table. Uh, and there are um uh, there are four empty chairs um and you realize quite soon that these are he's sort of impersonating her her dead friends for her to in order to put on a, a birthday party for her. and in the process of that um as as they toast every every course of the meal he gets increasingly drunk mm-hmm. and you know uh, bumps into f- furniture and and falls over. Uh, that and the, the comedy is essentially in in a, about sort of setting up a, a, a pattern of repetition and then breaking with it. And, mm-hmm. But you know the, the comedy lies in him crashing into into chairs. Uh, I think that sort of uh, type of comedy feels very very old for us now. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the same. I mean, other examples are something like you know Benny Hill or or, or Mr Bean, which I think again in Germany you can still. See that it, it's still on television, and Mr. Bean is still sort of admired. But um, I think in Britain, comedy culture has, has actually moved on quite a lot. And um, I mean, you can sort of explain that with the with the decline of I mean, even those great seaside resorts that used to where, where people used to go, mm-hmm. in much like the Germans when when they wanted to have a break from working in order to have fun. Uh, that sort of division is, I think has disappeared. That now. Mm-hmm. Comedy is all around us, uh, uh, and you know the sort of main mode of comedy is now verbal. It's it's the it's the comedy of, of panel shows. You know we have uh, we have comedians writing newspaper columns mm-hmm. uh, about politics. There we have comedians campaigning for uh, changes to the vo- the way we vote. We have comedians uh, analysing the news uh, mm-hmm. on, on on panel shows these days. So I think um, uh, that's just one example i think in the way the sort of the very role that comedy takes in a culture in, in britain has has changed quite a lot
0: how uh, let, let, let's move on to a slightly wider subject than mm. than just comedy and, mm. and that is how these two countries see themselves mm-hmm. um i mean obviously germany sees itself as very much as part of europe we're mm-hmm. very aware of that at the minute and mm. yet because of uh, sensitivity about the past, maybe mm-hmm. haven't always been used to being in a bit of a, a leading role, which mm-hmm. they're being pushed mm-hmm. into at the minute because mm-hmm. of the financial crisis. Uh, whereas Britain has always had this um, slightly ambiguous relationship with Europe. How do you see that from your from your position astride both countries?
1: Well, I mean, it's, uh, I didn't write that much about it in the book in the end because... Um, uh, uh, the deadline was looming, and it, it, just, it really felt like uh, something that was um, uh, that was cracking open uh, uh, again after after it was sort of uh, lying dormant for, for a while. I mean, I think those the 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 direction of travel now is is very different in the two countries. So Germany is is moving towards uh, towards more Europe, whereas Britain is is moving away from Europe. Um, while at the same time, those those attitudes attitudes are are hardly new. I mean, I think we've, we've mm-hmm. essentially that has been the direction of travel for a while. But we we haven't quite realised that it may be that it, it might sort of te- take us away from each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's um it, it's a tricky. I mean, I mean, I've, uh, I I remember when I for this book, I, I I you know I sort of. I would go on regular little trips around Germany because I, I, I felt I'd, you know, I'd grown up in in Hamburg, then moved to London, and 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 spent a lot of time moving between those two cities. And uh, in many ways, sort of parts of Germany aren't aren't that as familiar to me um, as London. And so, so I, I sort of went back to Germany quite, and I tried to sort of just talk to people. I would stay with friends of friends, and um, I remember one time in in weimar one winter I sort of stayed for for a, a week in a in a student flat with rent and, and uh, sort of around dinner we, we had a chat about um what they what they felt you know i said do you, know, do you feel german or what's sort of, what 's your how do you describe your identity and i think I was struck by the fact that almost all of them said that, first and foremost they feel local so they feel i 'm a um, you know, I'm I'm a, from Thuringia, I'm I'm the Bav- I'm Bavarian at heart. Mm. I'm a Swabian at heart, um, uh, and and then it's a, and then I feel European, and then I feel German, mm. and I think that's uh, I still find that quite striking. That that is I think is a is a different uh, matter in Britain, not just because the european wouldn 't come at the sec- second point, and that identification with Europe is that different, but in a way, what I find more interesting is is that sort of sense of local pride mm. that can coexist with a sense of a sort of European identity um, and I wonder sometimes whether that has to do, i mean that has to do in Britain the fact that that, that local identity isn 't it 's harder in i think in, with sort of a centralized country like Britain. I think it's harder to to generate a sort of steady sense of
0: of, of local pride.
1: So I think some places have it in yeah. Britain. Certainly, yes, yeah.
0: certainly, I mean, if, if your experience is mainly in the in the southeast, you yeah. might come across it less than, yeah. for instance, if you're in Cornwall. You mentioned yeah. Liverpool yeah. earlier. Yeah. I'm from the northeast. Yeah. You've got certainly got a sense of the, you know, being from Newcastle before yes. you're English, yes. and then that's before you even end up in Scotland yes. or Northern Ireland or, or yeah. Wales. And yeah. if, I mean, goodness me. <laughs> Trying to trying to work that out in Northern Ireland and, yes. and where your loyalties lie, and then the Channel Islands, people in Guernsey will and people at, in Jersey yeah. are at each other's necks all the time. So yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but I do appreciate exactly yeah. what you mean about that, yeah. Be- uh, and it's very similar to Italy and other places where the the nationhood came nationhood came a lot um, a lot later. It was yes. a 19th century thing, yeah. brought yeah. all these places together, yeah. Sicilians and Lombardians and so yeah. on, and Ligurians all, all fitting under this flag that, that was a little bit of a, a construct, mm. a bit mm. a bit artificial.
1: So, I mean, I think just um, given that those local identities, uh, I mean, I take your point, but I do think there's, there's a sort of, there's a sense that because we have that sort of identity and that can't be taken away from us, it, it doesn't, in a way, it matters less what the next layer is, mm. whether that's Germany or whether that's Europe, um, and I, so I think, I mean, and the other thing that is uh, hard for British people, I guess, to understand, but is, is the, you know, if you look at the map of Germany over the last um, two hundred years, it has changed quite a lot, and so I think there isn't there isn't as much of a sort of um, a strong sense that that these things are. Uh, immovable, so that, that you know that they, they, they could, you know, why they couldn't change. And I, I, said, I, I mean, I'm, I might be wrong with this, and I, um, I have, I'm not as plugged into the political debate now in, in Germany, perhaps that I would like to be. But um, I think, in many ways, the, the sort of concept of a of a transfer union of of, of Europe being uh, a country where funds are transferred between different mm-hmm. different um, different countries isn't all that alien to the way Germany works I mean it's you know it's I mean there, that, that is you know in within a, a federal country like like Germany that that is sort of what's happening with you know uh, the Bavaria is subsidizing Berlin uh, so especially
0: after the uh, the reunification exactly so
1: I I, I I mean you know of course the you know um, politicians are are sort of um, strongly against it still but I, I sort of wonder whether at a at a very basic level it doesn't i don't think it there's as much of a revulsion against against the idea Um, so um uh so sorry
0: can i just pop in with a a, with a with a a counter argument to that and that and that is that when you do have a transfer union Mm. of whatever type within an economy you tend to need to knit it all together with a sense of shared identity, mm-hmm. so that if you are Bavarian and you're you're subsidising a, a Rostock or whatever, mm-hmm. you get the sense that well it's okay because I can identify with the person up in Rostock and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we are all German. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think that perhaps on the European level maybe that does start to crumble mm-hmm. and you know there is this sense that maybe there isn't a European identity embedded as as deeply as the, as, as maybe we've all we've all presumed.
1: No, and and I think there is a. I mean, there is a undoubtedly a sense that we've that that sort of that unity was uh, was there, perhaps in after in the in the, the period directly after the war, because mm-hmm. there was a project that we were working to, which has defined itself in reaction to, to to a mess that was left behind. So, um, and that 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 certainly feels less urgent now. I do wonder whether. Um, there is, in a way, a next generation that is perhaps younger than you and me, mm-hmm. that for whom um, Europe is, in a way more of a given, which is the sort of uh, you know the sort of easy jet, um, euro-style sort of generation who, who has, you know, from an early age. Gone sort of on, on holidays, and is, is is just feels more locked into mm-hmm. uh, into Europe Europe as as sort of as as one place. Um, you know things like uh, I mean the the, the amount of um, people who've been on you know Erasmus schemes, say, yes, uh, right. uh, um, and you know sort of in my group of friends, the amount of people who who are partly because of schemes like that you know married or engaged or going out with with people mm-hmm. from other european countries um i mean that's something that's the experience that i think britain has sadly often mm-hmm. missed out on but i do think there there is there is um, there is a sense with, with with that next generation we are actually sort of seeing more of an interlocking it's 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 lacking perhaps a grand big overarching narrative but um, uh, but you could argue I mean it's, it's arguable to how how convincing that narrative needs to be
0: yeah well certainly if you if you look at the the generation that's out there now not only have they got these exchanges between mm. universities but to be honest, the fact of a single currency, mm-hmm. the fact of uh, being able to travel across borders with, with, without any uh, passport or, or mm-hmm. identity documents mm-hmm. is quite a powerful one. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we mm-hmm. grew up, we did, ha- you know, you could collect all of the different coins and yeah. and, and all of the different uh, currencies and you had to, apart from when you are going between Belgium and Luxembourg, but apart from that, <laughs> you always had to shift around currencies. Yeah. And things like that actually emphasised where you were and that mm-hmm. this was a separate place, whereas... Mm-hmm. I mean who knows where Schengen and the euro are going but uh, yeah. but maybe that maybe that's saying that things are uh, you know that this new generation mm-hmm. is going to grow up differently mm-hmm.
1: um so one one thing i sort of um uh while i while i sort of i would agree that we are at a point now i mean in many ways since i i finished finished this book where it it looks like um anglo german relations have got got worse i mean you know with mm-hmm. that sort of dramatic um Veto or not veto moment. Yes. Um, uh, um, that felt like a you know it felt like a significant moment, in term, and it seemed to sort of signal you know a drifting apart rather than a coming together. Mm-hmm. I do wonder. I think sometimes it's it's easy to overestimate the way that the or to to assume that the way politicians feel and what's going on at, at a sort of international diplomacy level also represents what's going on at a sort of everyday mm-hmm. level, and I do wonder. I, I mean, I mean there was a, there was a YouGov survey just the other day which um which showed that uh, you know Germany's uh, the way British people admire um the Germ- the way Germany runs its country more than uh, well uh, uh, more than America. I mean, they said the, the second most admired um, country in, in the world in Britain. I think mean, that's quite significant. It's quite a significant change to to w- what it was like when I, when I when I arrived mm. here in the 90s. Um, well,
0: I wanted to ask you about this because mm. you, you you well to bring back in football for mm. instance. Mm. You, you talked about uh, 1996. Mm-hmm. Was it mm-hmm. when when it was the uh, the penalty shootout between. Mm-hmm the English uh, perpetual losers and penalty shootouts and the ever-efficient Germans and the strutting about of of, uh, Andreas Muller, wasn't it? Yes. Um, uh, And you compare that from a personal point of view to the last World Cup Mm -hmm. Uh, and quite frankly, although most people were pretty disappointed with England. I mean, we were dreadful. There was so much respect for the way that the Germans were playing. Mm-hmm. It was a multinational team. They were exciting. There wasn't any of this kind of cold, dull efficiency yeah. uh, that, uh, and arrogance that we had perhaps associated with Germany in the past. Maybe this is the generations changing. But maybe it's also evidence that there is room for admiration once other things start to change in the background.
1: I think. I think. Uh, I think that's right. I mean, uh, uh, and. And certainly, so it's, I mean, it's it's a strange thing how football is a catalyst for for these sort of big uh, shifting emotions between two countries. And, and sometimes I find it puzzling the way it often seems to come up with such perfect symbols for the way, mm. for you know, so with this uh, moment when when Andy Mellor scored this penalty in Euro nineteen ninety six, and, and it was just the perfect symbol of, of a sort of German arrogance. Uh, mm. Was Germany really that arrogant at the time? I don't know, but it, you know, it's, it's very hard to, to to wrestle that apart, and and likewise the, this moment in at in, uh, the last World Cup, um, where you have these very young, fleet-footed uh, Germans, which just seem to have such a good time actually taking
0: one, one from a Ghanaian background, <laughs> yes. one from a Turkish background, uh, yes. a Polish background, yes,
1: etc. Exactly. Um, so I think um, I, I wonder whether. Um, I mean, football is one thing, but I, I do think there is a sort of um um I sometimes wonder whether one of the thing one of the reasons why actually I think a lot of uh normal inverted commas um British people are more well inclined towards Germany now is that they sort of they look at they look at Germany and they see sort of a a sort of um a little bit Something that reminds me a little bit of Victorian Britain. I mean, it's it's something that isn't all that foreign to, to mm. British history. I mean, that, that that sense of a country which um, uh, defines itself still through industry, which is something that you know mm-hmm. Britain Britain used to do. I, uh, of Making course, things, manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always it's easily overstated. Of course, Britain still produces things, and and. I think we're, uh, the ninth biggest exactly, manufacturer exactly. in the world, so. and 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 um, uh, and Germany uh, it doesn't just live off producing making things either. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's only a, a third of, uh, I think, of, of exports or something like that. Um, but it, but I think there is a sense, uh, sort of national story about about how uh, the country keeps itself going, and I think that that does still uh, in Germany hinge on. Uh, you know, on the the Mittelstand Mm -hmm. and on those sort of um, medium-sized businesses that produce things, there is that sort of, there's still that narrative of um, uh, of apprenticeships, which which I guess creates a a wider story of, um, you know, that through, if you work hard, you sort of, and if you stick to something for a long time, it does somehow Mm -hmm. get you somewhere. Um, Which I think, um, again, that's not to say that in Britain you can't get somewhere if you work long and hard, but because you have, the, sort of, um, the financial sector as a, such a strong symbol and talked about in a, in a certain way and, and as, a, as a sort of symbol of, um, of a way in which people can get rich very quickly, not by working very hard, but in a way by taking risks. I think it does quite create create two different, uh, very different sort of narratives about the way the two countries talk about themselves. And I think in a little bit of Brit- uh, Britain does look longingly at, at that, that German model, precisely because it doesn't seem that far from, from, from the way Britain you know, might have worked uh, not, not all that long ago.
0: Absolutely, and, and don't underestimate the amount of, uh, uh, the amount that success can mm. play in it. If yes. we look over yeah. there and we've got a struggling economy, uh, as has much of Europe, to be honest, there are two ways in which you could view it. If, if you feel as though the Germans are stepping into a position... Mm where, to be honest, they're starting to water people around, um, which is mm-hmm. the perception, certainly in some mm-hmm. parts of southern Europe, because, of course, they're tied into the same single currency. Mm-hmm. From the British perspective, what we see is is a Germany that's actually succeeding based upon hard work and valuing, as you say, things like apprenticeships that teach people how to do the type mm-hmm. of things that we've always admired yeah. as a country. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I can certainly see that. Uh, however, you can also see a, a certain amount of um, perhaps... Uh, from the British point of view, you can also see a little bit of tension over where this means Europe is going to go uh, in the future because obviously this is pushing Germany into much more of a leadership role than they've ever had in the European Mm -hmm. Union. They're always the kind of... uh, you know the, the 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 machine working in the background yes. that powered things and other people took control of the political thing but now yeah. obviously that's having to change may that change how the rest of the world or or perhaps uh, let's just stick with britain how britain's going to view germany in in the next 10 20 years
1: um uh, i think it certainly will i mean i think um i sort of think there is a um i'd say there, there, there's a de- there's a delay in a way with the way where foreign. I don't think foreign policy is necessarily what defines people's view of of another country, mm-hmm. but it, it it can if there are dramatic events, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I don't think Germany is a reluctant l- leader, so more in, in Germany, I mean that's still sort of the the way it was talked about. Yeah, for a long it's time. It's but I mean, it, it's starting to grow into the role uh, now. Uh, uh, I think it has. Yeah. Um. Um. But I think it's. Um, it does so I mean it does so quietly I mean it's 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 more authoritative and perhaps sometimes bullying but it's it's not shouty and I guess um I mean maybe things will will um you know I'm, I'm um I mean, I'm I'm worried about sometimes you know if there is a sort of a big moment where which might quite easily change uh, sort of the, the way the the, the brits view the, the Germans again i mean who knows what what that will be what the next obstacles further down the road but um uh yeah i mean i think i think um one one sort of key uh, point i come up come to realize while I was writing this book is is how easily uh the, all views of each other change mm-hmm. and how quickly they can be flipped on their on their side i mean this uh, go back to uh this uh, 19th century poet Heinrich Heine again, but you know he comes to London uh, in 1827, and he uh, one of the first things he says is, is sort of, these you know, the, the British, the English, they're so uh, it's so machine-like here. I mean, it's, it's exactly the uh, you know humorless and machine-like. I mean, that's that's exactly the, the sort of stereotype, of course, that you know Britain now has, has of Germany, and, and and it's sort of a perfect reversal.
0: Uh, and as we say, uh, as we've just said. Quite a few of the events of the last, uh, you know, since 2008 have started to uh, seem to seep into how we view each other. Uh, I wanted to ask you about one particular thing. And I was Mm -hmm. very curious about this because I had um, Simon Winder, who Mm -hmm. wrote uh, Mm -hmm. Germania, uh, was sat in exactly that seat uh, probably two months ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, he tried to write this book with an enormous amount of German history coming through it. Mm -hmm. And he tried to do this really trying to stay away from, from the Nazi period mm. and you don't entirely stay away from the Nazi period mm. because you, you bring in it's Unity Mitford isn't it and Munich mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and all of that um, who was a British it girl I suppose and, yeah. and a fervent admirer of Hitler a very odd family um, but I'm just curious about why you both felt as though it was necessary to, to steer mm. clear as much as possible was it just that you thought that if you brought that in it would dominate everything mm.
1: Uh, I mean, one of the... I remember when I was writing this book, um, so I had this... Quite early on, I had, I had this key idea that, you know, this conceived that it would, each chapter would be... would really be about a meeting, a historical mm-hmm. meeting between two figures. The, you know, they didn't have to be sort of... Um, Bertie Vokes,
0: Kevin Keegan. Kevin the Mini and Keegan. the Beetle,
1: Exactly. Uh, um, sort of moments... You know, Margaret Thatcher and Helmut Kohl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't all have to be um, uh, big and... Uh, Influential, you know, some of them are sort of quite um, fleeting. You know, people brushing past each other, two philosophers who, who, mm-hmm. who barely met, I think, um, when they were at the same university. But um, <clears throat> so I had that conceived quite early on, and you know, as you do, you, you know, you always uh, and I'm, people ask you, uh, <coughs> "How's the book going?" And, uh, and the amount of people who suggested that I should really, oh, why don't you do Hitler and uh, and Churchill, and, mm-hmm. and I just sort of. Um, uh, so quite early on, um, rebelled against that in a way, and and I was sure that I didn't want to book, write another book about the war. I mean, my publisher had assured me that I would get a big advance if I'd write a book about the war, but mm. uh, I was I was sort of stubbornly stuck on on the fact that um, there is, a, I think there is a, a fantastically fascinating uh, story, in much in the same way that. Simon Winder writes a fascinating story, a history of of Germany leading up to the war. There's there's, there's as much rich um, and exciting stuff happening in Germany, uh, and in the relation between between um, Germany and Britain after the war. Um, you know, it's the, it's in many ways I think it's it's the sort of the most exciting uh, stuff that's happening is is right after the war when when these two countries are. Uh, uh, you know that's really when, when when things changed when you know Britain lost its its empire and, and, and Germany was sort of rebuilt in, uh, to an extent in a, in a British image you know with with a lot of British know-how with a lot mm-hmm. of um, British advice um, I mean one of the reasons why Germany I think is a you know successful country now is largely you know, indebted to, to to the advice it got from 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 Britain you know mm-hmm. um, you know the way the media was was built in in the image of the BBC I mean there, there are all sorts of exciting stories to be told there which I wanted to bring it to the book. And yet, by the time i come to the end, I sort of realised that actually, you know, that's... uh, uh, As a German, I sort of, you know, I don't... uh, I don't want to end up... I didn't want to end up in the position where I was denying the war. I mean, uh, you know, I think of course i think it's 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 a, it's a fact of 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 the german identity that, that this um this happened uh, and if you leave it
0: out you've almost got to come up with an even better reason well, exactly for
1: ignoring ex- exactly so um uh, that that just didn't didn't seem seem right to me and and also there was just a, f- a fantastic little story uh, that slotted in at the end which was the story mm-hmm. of this um uh, english you know or unity mitford who who admired Hitler and and sort of hung out in cafe, cafes in, in Munich until until they the, they bumped into each other. Um, so um, uh, and and actually, if you if you sort of uh, looking back on the book, um, it's I, I mean I certainly think it's the right decision. In, in any at any rate. Um, the war comes into it all the time to an extent I mean it sort of seeps into the narrative but I didn't want to you know Mm -hmm. I didn't want to artificially emphasise it or exclude it but you Mm -hmm. know um, there there are lots of things that you um, you know when I write about the, um, the German sort of uniquely German uh, view of nature for example yes. which is sort of a product of, of, of romanticism but also to an extent the product of geography mm-hmm. the, the, the unique features of, of German geography which is you know, like a la- large woodland and and a couple of high mountains um, but um, that's uh, always complicated by by what happened in the war and the fact that the, the Nazis sort of um, uh, in a way, built uh, their ideology on on, on the, the image of the forest. Uh, of mm-hmm. uh, of a, you know, they thought the Germans were a forest community, a Waldgemeinschaft, yes. uh, whereas um, they thought um, other countries were desert desert people. Um, uh, so um, and and they you know there was, there was a sort of um, crazy cult of, of forests that that sort of came with with uh, National Socialism to the extent where they. I mean, um, you know, they sort of had songs about German oaks and, and planted swastikas in forests and, and so on. <laughs> yes, that was
0: one of the odder bits of the book. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a crazy, crazy. I think it was only spotted by someone who was flying over a sort of remote stretch of forest and suddenly saw the swastika where they they decided to cut down a couple of trees and then plant different trees which would... You know, uh, show up in a different uh, different colour uh, in, in 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 sort of intersecting uh, rows to form a swastika. I mean, extraordinary.
0: Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I assume that there's no photographs of this now. Or, um, I or think
1: that you can. You, there is a photograph of it actually. Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, they won't have left it. No, they off. haven't left it. They <laughs> haven't left it. But I think it was, they only discovered that bit in the in the 90s. So there's a really, yeah, that's yeah. Um, But um, uh, and and at the same time, sort of that. Um, that that narrative of of the forest is something that's very close to, to Germany. It was then sort of after after it was <laughs> wrenched out of the hands of the, of the right, it was sort of reclaimed by the left and by the Green Party. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. but so um, uh, you know, to 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 leave out the war and that would have would have been would have been an absurd thing to do. So. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I have two last questions one of them uh, might be complicated but at least it's short and that mm. is I mean I'm married to a foreign woman myself mm. an Italian mm. and, and you're married to an English woman now yeah. uh, if you have a son <laughs> and they end up you know being able to excel at something like football and, or whatever just interest in football and England and Germany play each other in the World Cup final in I don't know 10, 15, 20 years time mm. who would he cheer for? Jesus. who would he play for?
1: So I, I mean, I cheer for Germany still, and that's um, even though I play for an English football team. Um, so for me, it's sort of I've I've instinctively sort of made made up my mind there. Crikey, I don't know. Um, I think it just depends where. Uh, I think for football. Which team you cheer on? It just depends where you spent the first ten years of your life. Mm. So,
0: but do you think that that Anglo-German identity would sit happily with any children that you end up having? Uh, I think or, so. Or do you think, think it'll leave them full of all sorts of deep conflicts, whether it's sport or whatever?
1: No, I think I think um, I think it's a healthy conflict. And and, and you know, uh, if in fact I mean, looking at the German football team now, I mean every single player in, in that team has got a, a division, and I think that's something that. Again, I—I mean, um, it's one of those things that I feel quite passionate about. that uh, Britain has a sort of outdated view of Germany, where it assumes mm-hmm. that it's all still blonde men with uh, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, you know my—if I look at my family, my um, yeah, uh, 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 my sister uh, is married to a, a man from uh, Peru and they've got three kids who uh haven't got very german looks or, or names mm-hmm. um uh, my brother's uh wife is, is half half japanese um i'm, I'm married to uh, an english uh, woman so um i think there is a sort of next generation which which is just more m- multicultural just as it, mm-hmm. as it is here um and and that is uh is, isn't an ideological matter it's just a, it's a sort of a fact of, of, of the way we live now yeah um, at the end of the
0: nation state and the fact that we're all a little bit more transient globalised always moving around yeah.
1: yes yeah um, and in fact you know there's a, there's a player who is sort of on the verge of making it into the German team who's half English Lewis Holtby
0: I've heard of this chap he's going to be very good isn't
1: he yeah he's he struggled a bit this season but you know that'll be an interesting moment because he yeah. really could have played for he, I think he cheered for England but he's now playing for Germany that's going to be interesting.
0: Oh, well, the, 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 the second uh, question is quite simply the traditional one. Uh, what are you working on now? I know that you, you're, you're obviously pretty busy as a journalist, mm. and this book didn't come out that long ago. Have you got any other projects on the go?
1: Um, I don't really, apart from that. I'm translating it for um, uh, uh, into German at the moment, oh, right. which is a, a strange uh, process. Uh, um, so it will come out in German in, uh, next February. Um, so that's the sort of main thing I'm working on. Uh, and
0: is uh, it virtually, if not word for word, then everything is retained as is, or are you having to? I'm trying take to. I'm trying to sort
1: it. of look sort of like a glove that you can wear the other s- inside out. I think that's what you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is spent um, in, in the English versions explaining concepts okay. like Wirtschaftswunder uh, uh, and so on um, to an English readership that won't be familiar with. With those concepts, um, and obviously that will be very boring for German readership. So I have to do a bit of um, swapping around. I mean, mm-hmm. so the the things that are staying are my my own story and and the meetings, but mm-hmm. the sort of lessons I, I take from it uh, uh, yeah. can be different.
0: Maybe having to explain a little bit more about a, a boy's own school uh, yeah. on the <laughs> yeah, or, or Exactly. Whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the hidden rules of uh, of public schools. <laughs> okay. Anyway,
0: thanks very much indeed for popping in. Philip, okay. Thank you Paul very much time. for having me. And that was Philip Altman author of Keeping Up with the Germans, A History of Anglo-German Encounters, a book examining relations between Germany and England through his own personal experience as a young German who moved to England while still a teenager. If you enjoyed reading this, then perhaps you'd also like to listen to my recent interview with Simon Winder, the author of a book called Germania. You can find it on the New Books in European Studies website. Meanwhile, this is Nicholas Walton wishing you a good day from here in London.